everybody, and welcome back to Let's Talk About Thrones. Uh, House of Pie, no. House of Beer, no. House of Dragons edition. Uh, I am Jenny Josephson. Uh, This is Anthony Lemos, Ethan Kane, Amos the Famous, uh, joining us here today. And Richard Gunther, who is also famous, although not so easily rhymable. Uh, no. Welcome back to episode two of <laughs> House of the Dragon. What overall did we think of this show? Uh, Jenny, first of all, you're supposed to just take a name and pick it and stick with it. But, you know, I guess we're off the rails already. <laughs> there is that's no your rules own. in podcasting. And, and And that's your own fault, friend. I mean, uh, you know. You have three names, three aliases, only one of which is legitimate. Come on. Uh, this is true. Um, episode two, The Rogue Prince. And I thought this episode was exactly what it needed after kind of meandering a little bit the first episode, mm-hmm. giving a, you know, a whole introduction of people and kind of the attitudes. This one really drove the plot, and I thought it was done exceptionally well. And a quick shout out to the original theme music being played at the beginning, yes! the, the new puzzle. And I don't know if you were listening, but you can actually hear the sounds of the puzzle, like the the blood gushing through and things like that, during the intro music, which was something we did not hear during the original series. Right, right. So. You saw these things kind of lock into place as the blood in this cabin in the woods-esque blood-powered Rube Goldberg <laughs> machine kind of comes to life. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought it was exactly what this series needed. Second episode, they nailed it. They gave you a, a purpose and a point and said, here we are. Here's the story. And and gave us everything we needed in the second episode. Richard, what'd you think? I thought that um it, first of all if this is any indication of how the show is going to move we are going to cover a lot of ground because it's already 6 months later when we start this episode and i start as i usually am in these shows a little bit lost by the crab feeder and not really understanding entirely what's going on there we should probably talk about that at some point but as the story progresses and you start seeing what's happening by the end, and we'll get to this eventually, but by the end where the king makes his decision and says what he's going to be doing, I knew that was happening. That's okay. What I think that says is they're telling the story in a way that you understand how they're developing these characters and their relationships. And Frankly, I liked that. It was possibly not a good decision, but <laughs> you knew that that was probably going to happen. Um, yeah. And I uh, have split my opinion about this show into the show and the behind the scenes of the show. So yes. uh, for the show itself, for the episode itself, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was solid. I thought it was paced well. Uh, where things happen. I love the time skips. I feel like that's why they definitely cast two actresses um, because they are going to skibbity, skibbity, skibbity all through the decades and probably back for flashbacks. And I really like a show that plays with time, right? Um, and I think we could have that potential here. I loved um, seeing, let's see if we get this right, Rhaenyra uh, come into her own. Did I oh, get yeah. Rhaenyra? 
Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I put the captions on for this time and it really helped. Um, and, uh, Rainus, Rain, Prince, Rain, Princess Rainus, the, yep. the auntie, the mad the, auntie, the queen that never was. Oh, auntie. Uh, oh, yeah. Is it Rainus or Renus? I don't know. Is uh, it- Rainus rhymes with so many things. Yeah. Um, and I really liked seeing the uh, series of incredibly bad decisions that many people made, except the, you know, the, the young lady who was like, I know how to solve my uncle. I'm just going to ride over on my little dragon and save this guy's butt. Um, and I liked seeing those relationships develop. So there's that. Uh, good episode overall, really solid. And then uh, later, we're going to talk about my enragement. Oh, okay. The oh. enragement is going to be fun. But you said that there were two sides and there's the behind the scenes side. What's the behind? Yeah, that's the, the enragement. Oh, okay. The you- thing that comes after, uh, I'll set it. Uh, the thing that comes after every episode of Game of Thrones, there's an inside the episode, which is like behind the scenes footage and, um, uh, the showrunners talking and they, <sighs> we'll get to it. Okay. We'll get to it. But I was pissed at it. Um, okay, so uh, visually, this episode, a stunner, yes? Totally. Totally. They did a, a marvelous job, I thought, with the cinematography. I did think there were too many scenes that were too dark. So mm-hmm. that made, you know, and, and this is one of the things that was a problem in the first series as well, that there are scenes indoors where for proper mood and effect, it's just really hard to see who's in the scene, where they are, and what they're doing. Yeah, I agree. Um, it was really hard for me to um, focus on those scenes. Like, I would start to sort of lose. And it was hard for me to see, like, um, um, the king's chambers are often dark and yet yes. he has a whole light element in there which is the stone recreation of old valyria and uh that's so cool that you want it to be flooded with light but it's not necessarily consistent with where his character is right now <laughs> yeah i i wonder how much of the lighting in particular is designed in order to set a set a mood for things if it's good all of it right um so when, one of the things that got me was when uh, Rhaenyra and Alicent are in the dungeon with the candles. Well, they, I guess they're not in the dungeon. They're, they're in the sept of the seven. And um, all the candles are lit. And I was thinking about it while the show, while I was watching the show, like how difficult was that scene in particular to, to videograph? Like, yeah, you know, and I say videograph cause it's like, video you know, record it on video and also choreograph the movements to where the lighting takes place exactly where it needs to and i don't know if those were practical candles or if those were or, you know partially practical or, or whatever but that scene was like a master class in showing exactly what you need to see while making none of the rest of it relevant at all set yeah, dressing yeah. was it did a phenomenal job with that. And the sound design in that you could hear because there were so many candles and so many flames, you could actually hear the candles as well, which I thought was like yep. over the top. Yeah. You could hear, you could hear the uh, sisters walking in the background. Like it sounded like it was forever away. 
Like I, I just I thought that scene was as far as like shooting and and building a scene, things like that. I thought that was a, a, a great scene. You guys, I have to get back to my Roku stream bar because watching it on a laptop is not cutting it. Oh, um, oh yeah, no. As no. I journey across America, I'm pickup truck. I'm actually watching it. Uh, my my audio is provided by my two HomePods, the original HomePods that I got on sale after they were discontinued. So that is my sound bar. I have one on each side of the TV. Nice. Very nice. Um, okay. So, uh, visually, the other thing I really loved was obviously Rhaenyra coming through the clouds at Dragonstone. And we know those steps very well, right? If you've watched Game of Thrones, you know the long steps that people who don't have dragons have to take to even get halfway up. Uh, and to recap, you know, you've got, um, the doctor, Dr. Targaryen, uh, Matt Smith, whose name I just <laughs> cannot remember. In the show, because he's just Damon. the doctor wearing a blonde wig. Damon. Damon Targaryen. Okay, so Damon uh, uh, has taken Dragonstone, which is technically the rightful possession of uh, Princess Rhaenyra. And um, in a series of increasingly bad decisions, the king sends Otto Hightower, uh, softy from the mainland, uh, over uh, with 20 men, which is like, dude, come on. Uh and they're trying to get a dragon egg back, uh, which Damon stole, and it goes poorly until uh, basically Rhaenyra calls his bluff. And I love that. I love that she was just like, no, no, I have a dragon. You're not the only one. There are many dragon riders. And I just thought that was great, and I uh, appreciated it. And they also set up a mystery in that time, which is like, uh, well, in a different scene, which I have thoughts about uh uh, that there is another dragon out there that's seen old Valyria, right. uh, who's rogue, who's gone rogue, a rogue dragon, a rogue lady dragon. And she, you don't, it's Chekhov's rogue lady dragon. You don't bring up a rogue lady dragon in episode one unless you're going to see her sometime soon in a very key point of the plot. Right. And I was actually thinking that that might be, because they said that uh, they believe that she's taken up uh, nesting on somewhere along the narrow sea. Well, the narrow sea lies between Westeros and Essos, so that might be the origin of Danny's dragons. Like those could be yes. the eggs. Oh, yeah. I was wondering yeah. about that. Which, which, so in that sense, other than building the mystery of what was going on in the clouds, as Rhaenyra came up to Dragonstone, you know, because it was mentioned right before that, so that's that kind of like led, led into that. If they don't mention this other dragon at all ever, I think it still pays off. Because it could possibly be the origin of Danny's dragons. Like they've mm, made an escape point. route for like later on in the series where all the dragons are killed or something like that. And now no, there's no more dragons, no more dragon eggs. But this one rogue dragon out in the middle of nowhere somehow birthed, you know, you know so I, I, I can see that happening. That'd be cool. Yeah. Uh, Richard, any visuals that uh, stayed with you in a profound and interesting way? <laughs> I loved the the shot they had and i had to think for a minute about where she was coming from you see the dragon land you see her get off and she comes from behind the hand and his men and they all turn toward her facing away from damon and his men right which i thought was Kind of odd. Strategically unadvisable. Right. <laughs> well, there's, there's more to it than that. As she was flying around, you didn't know she was going to land behind Damon or behind the hand. 
Like right. Could, the way it was shot, it could have been either one. And then when she does right. land, you don't know if she's landing with Damon or a directly opposing him just behind her, her, the hand, you know? So like there, there was a lot of tension and a lot of possible twists that could have happened right there. And the way it played out when, when so it finally played out, you're like, okay, now we know what's going to, what, how that is. But up until the point where she directly talks to Damon, you don't know what's going on with it. Yeah. I, I um, do get the feeling that you, that you know that, She's there to save the day. Yeah. We don't necessarily know how. But the other thing that I love about that is that basically she gets the opportunity to come back at Hightower, who basically shut her down in front of the council just before that, as she was recommending a a, a possible way of handling things. Um. Should we make it a general rule that we repeat often on this show? Never diss a Targaryen. <laughs> like, have we not all learned that these people have tempers and that they have dragons and that they are very imperial, right? Like, literally, they're from an old empire called Old Valyria of Valyria. And I, I'm actually one of the things I'm most fascinated about is how that history is very subtly starting to unfold itself. You know, uh, you get the lesson in stonemasonry, uh, history of old Valyria from the king to his, uh, comfort child, <coughs> uh, Alicent Hightower, uh, who is just, you know, I guess she's maybe 18. <laughs> Maybe no, she's probably seventeen. They, what am I kidding? They, she hasn't come of age yet. I believe is the <sighs> because Rhaenyra hasn't come of age, and those two are supposed to be like basically match pair. Yeah. Um. I um, I do want to acknowledge that they finally said marrying children is not okay. Yeah, good for like, them. I mean, right? real, real progress in the right? feminism department. Like, let's here. just bring, yeah. it up, bring I mean, it up to like 1850s standards or something, you know, like something. Uh, it was they just, have to be 14 before you can bed them. Yeah, uh, it was. Yeah. Wet them and bed them. Uh, okay, so that brings me to, holy cow. Okay, so another nice little facet of Valyrian culture uh, is the difference between the dragon riders and the sea snake, right? Um, the, uh, the sort of, uh, uh, there was the high cast of the dragon riders in old Valyria, and then there was like everybody else. And the husband of queen that never was Rhaenys, uh, uh, is one of the people who did the dragons. Corliss. Yes. Corliss, uh, oh, what is his, yeah, Valerian. Um, and I always like heard about that differentiation. I didn't understand it. I thought everybody had dragons in Old Valyria, but that is not the case. Um, and so it's a very interesting dynamic with their family because they have a quote, and I say quote, marriageable daughter, uh, uh, who's 12, all of 12. But, uh, I thought that scene was handled pretty well, which is that the king was like, no, <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. no, like even at 14, no, like what are your things you like to do? Well, I like to play with dolls, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> no, I, I mean, so, he likes to play with models. So yeah, I know it's not off by much, but uh, I, I did at least think that um, even though it was icky and meant to be icky, 
and those wigs on the children are not good. Um, Corliss's w- uh, wig, I assume it is a wig, um, is pretty great. It works for him. The kids definitely look like they're wearing wigs and it, it bugs me for many reasons, which are, um, have a complexity, right. but also just like didn't work. Yeah. I, I hate to put it out liar like that, but I hope we don't see that again. Yeah. Like for many reasons, but yeah. For many reasons that are not mine to talk about, but like if you're going to put a, well, why not? If you're going to put a blonde wig on a black actor, get it right. Don't make it look like trash. It didn't look good. It did not. Anyway, that was my one set design costume gripe uh, that uh, showed up during this episode. Um, I really liked, and this will come to my major gripe later, but I did really like the scene between Rhaenys and Rhaenyra. Um, You are definitely getting two opposing positions uh, of uh, how women are treated and how women believe younger women versus older women how they relate to the patriarchy like i get it i i couldn't help uh, but think of Rainus as like the anti um uh martell what was the old old lady's name um oh not diana rig yeah diana rig um <laughs> but i can't remember anybody's name i thought she was a high tower no she wasn't a high tower she was a martell no she wasn't a martell she was a <sighs> Yeah. Somebody get anyway. me a dictionary. <laughs> Three years ago, <laughs> yes. I knew this. Elena. Elena Tyrell. Yeah. Tyrell. Not Martel Tyrell. There we go. There it is. Yeah. Tell him it, yeah. tell Cersei it was me. Yeah. It, yeah. She, she kind of gives me like the anti-Elena Tyre- Ty- Tyrell vibes. Like she's trying, she, she's, she's been, she's been stricken down at her peak and now she's been relegated to the background and she's almost like mad that anybody else might not also be relegated Very to the background. So. Whereas Elena Tyrell was like, no, I'm, I'm the background that controls the and I'm foreground. I'm going to use it to murder yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. You know, it, like very anti, very different. Um, thoughts, uh, other thoughts, things that stuck out to you, things that, um, made you go, hmm, or wow, or huh. So a couple of things for me. One, very early in this episode, and I think it was as early as when Hightower shut Renera down in the council, I, I'm starting to question, starting should have seen this last week to question his motivations, right? Like here you have the hand who doesn't really want the heir apparent to get too comfortable having any power. And why would that be? His daughter is going to become the queen. Right. 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 Exactly. Exactly. And and so, you know, the whole thing with the awkward conversation and relationship between him and his daughter and um I I mean, as I interpreted it, basically telling her go to the king and be with the king tonight. Right? Like that's awful. But then assuming I, maybe I'm wrong, but assuming because they showed nothing, that never actually happened. 
But then at the end, he picks her. He announces after much deliberation, giving in to the whims of the council that he should remarry and he's going to remarry to her. Literally the strategically worst person he can remarry. Right. Right. Not good for him. Very good for the high towers, and not good for anyone else, really. Though it's good for the audience because we don't it's have good to for deal the with the ick <laughs> of the twelve-year-old, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that was smart, like uh, from our perspective, but also like um, uh, that's you know those are the decisions of power versus morality, and it's difficult to be a good who said it? it's a, a difficult to be a good person and a good ruler was that in actual game of thrones season whatever the good season um uh where you break the wheel and turn into maybe a psychopath um, so you know we're seeing that we're seeing the um you know that guy who's the king grew up in a time of peace his father jaharith I think it was the king that reigned yep. for 60 years. I'm still a little unclear how far Jaharis is away from Aegon the Conqueror. Um, it, it, not entirely sure they're old enough that the dragon has turned to, uh, stone and bone there, uh, down in the basement. But, um, I would be curious to know. Uh, Anthony, anything jump out at you? Exciting, weird, strange, uh, questionable, because then I'm going to go on my rant. <laughs> Um, I, 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 I appreciate the decision of, of Alicent for the storyline and knowing the history of the Targaryens. I, I mean, it was kind of obvious to me that that would be eventually where it went. I'm surprised to see it happen this early in the series. Um, but I think, you know, you have this situation where, where between Alicent and, uh, Rhaenyra, like, are they, aren't they kind of more than friends? And then clearly someone likes someone or they both like each other. Right. Uh, and clearly Allison has no particular interest in men because every time she's asked to go to the King, she starts picking at her cuticles. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, so, and, and yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's kind of, it's bad for Allison personally. She doesn't want to be with the King. She may or may not want to be with Renera, but she definitely doesn't want to be with the King. Like her trepidation is obvious. Great job acting that out. Um, Renera doesn't want it because like, that's her, that's, that's, that's her girl, you know? And, uh, that's kind of like a, an unwilling stab. It's in the an back. ally of hers that has been taken away to become her literal, Stepmother. the breeder of her competition. Right. Right. Which, that's deep. Yeah. I mean, power begets, uh, begets power. So, and then, um, the fact that this is another slap. So now, not only has he taken his brother and said, no, you're not going to be the, the heir. Now he's also like slapped his daughter and said, yeah, you may still be heir for now, but I'm taking away your, your, your best friend. And, it's, and he pissed off Corliss and the queen who never was. Right. Like, so like who likes him? It, th this episode began with someone telling, I think it was Corliss telling uh, the king that the throne is seen as, um, as, uh, takeable. It's not seen as strong. It's seen as weak. And it ends, the episode ends with the king proving that it's weak. Yeah. Well, yeah. And 
furthermore, it, it, like there's, there's like a postscript, which is the response from Corliss to the announcement of the marriage, him basically going to Damon. Right. And allying with him. Not even aligned with him, like seeking his alliance out. Yeah. <laughs> Not just like taking him yeah. up on an offer, but he was proposing True. an offer. True. And then Good point. Timing Good here. Point. So there is a little bit of timing here. The trip from uh, the Red Keep uh, from King's Landing to Dragonstone is about a two days ship ride. And you, you can tell that, well, at least a, at least an overnight ship ride. So there's a little bit of a time gap between Rhaenyra coming back and the hand coming back. So even after Rhaenyra comes back and they have that talk, the king still had at least another full day, if not more, before he held the small council meeting and told everyone what was going on. Yeah. Like. Um, yeah. And I, 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 I think we learned the lesson in the last Game of Thrones series, which is don't try to figure out the times. It's very squishy. <laughs> Uh, but, um, I guess we cannot get out of this episode without talking about the crabs and the crab eater or whatever his it name is. It opened with that, with the, the crab feeder, right? Yes. Crab feeder. Yeah. I thought that was yes. great with the, the camera was kind of coming up the dude's leg and kind of coming up behind him. And you think the crabs are eating a dead person and then you can see him twitching. And I was like, oh, that just added so much flavor to this. I'm glad they didn't dwell Literally. on it. You know, they showed it like twice in key moments and they didn't like dwell on it with the gore and everything else. I thought that was very. Yeah, but it's so gross. You wouldn't need to dwell. Right. Whoa. Right. It was perfect. It was perfect. Um, here's my question for you guys. Where's the Lannisters? Where are the Lannisters? They're on her. I looked it up. They're on her little queenly. Badge, you got, you know, she has yes. that necklace thing that she wears when she's appointed uh, the heir, and it's got okay. the the Starks and the this and the that, and the Lannister crest is represented mm-hmm. as is represented in the opening um, credits. So where are the Lannisters? We haven't seen them yet. I guess they're getting their own episode to be intro. I, I don't think they become a major house until sometime later in the in the timeline. Like at hmm. this point, they're Maybe. still a minor house. They're not interesting. I don't think they're wardens of the of the West. Or wardens of the whatever. It's like, but it's like they were such a powerful part of the last series. You've already seen a Stark. You've seen a couple other houses that you recognize. My favorite thing is that you see houses you don't recognize. And you're like, oh, you guys didn't make it. <laughs> like, you, you hear names. <laughs> or they got, like, married named out or something. You know, they didn't have a male heir and then they had to marry them off or whatever. But, like, all these different – as a genealogist uh, enthusiast, uh, I love seeing the names that we don't know appear and disappear. So, but, yeah, the Lannisters are, like, a big question mark out there. Um, because you're gonna, if, if I was a storyteller, I would want to tell the origin story of how they became a, from a minor house to the Richie Riches. Well, they may get to do that in season two because that's been announced. Yay. Yay. (laughs) Okay. Which leads me to my gripe. Okay. Okay. Uh, does anyone else have anything to say? Last thoughts before Jenny goes on a GD rant. Oh, I I, I do. I, I do. Actually, why don't why? please go ahead, Richard? Yeah, okay, the floor is yours. So, <laughs> uh, do we know anything about 
the crab feeder? He's a pirate. That's all we know, right? Do we know anything more? Should we know something? I don't. I haven't really heard. I know. I know. No. I, I think he's just like a like a like a MacGuffin. A MacGuffin crab. Yep. <laughs> the the crab MacGuffin. He's, which sounds like a very delicious McDonald's breakfast. <laughs> If uh, if if anything, he is um, he's not prominent enough to make it into any of the major um, uh, Valerian stories or the Targaryen histories, that kind of stuff. Like he's not, I not prominent enough to be prominent in those recaps. Okay, yeah, I think it's um uh, an example of the smallest thing that sets off the biggest thing. Yeah, the molehill that becomes a mountain. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So. Uh, next, or he's a Lannister. I don't know. <laughs> oh, there you go. Uh, next thing that caught my attention is that as uh, Renera is shuffled out of uh, the council to go instead and inspect potential candidates for the King's Guard, it was interesting that the uh, the Hot Knight just happened to align. With the only candidate who actually had battle experience. So she chose the hot knight and she chose wisely. Like it was a very good decision strategically that didn't necessarily align with the advice that the hand might have given for political reasons. Right. Yep. Hot nights. Well, I, I think I think when when they said that he was there at the tourney, that he was actually I think um, Alicent mentioned that he was going to try to become one of the King's Guard. I think that was mentioned in episode one. That was kind of stated. Um, Subtle. All right. Anything all right, else, Richard? You have one more thing. Okay. Uh, the king really seems to be. Uh, I I don't know. Um, degrading. In a variety of ways now. So he had this sore that wouldn't heal before. And now he has what? Gangrene on his fingers or something? What? On what is? Thinking. What was going on with his hand? It, it, it showed it in the last episode as he was talking to Damon um, that he cut himself on the throne. And that's one of the things about the throne is that, yeah, it showed it. it okay. It, it yeah, I do remember hand. that. But yeah. seriously, like that little cut is... Why now yes. he needs maggots? I don't think they've discovered antibiotics and who cleans the throne. Well, I suppose the, but the throne is yikes. known. It's 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 in the histories that the throne hurts the person that wears it. Aegon the, the Conqueror formed right. the throne in order to remind the people sitting on yep. it that it can't be comfortable. We and, totally talked about that, but yeah. I I just didn't connect those things. Yeah, so, that, he, so he now has two separate wound. festering wounds on the same side of his body that have been brought about by the throne. Do you so. think the thing on his back was also brought about by the throne? Yes. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I think it was and do you think it like hurts someone who's a little weaker more? I, I There's nothing <gasps> mystical about this world that would surprise me. <laughs> yeah. Especially or since at least from a good because um, you know, remember, Aegon the Conqueror is the one that had the the the, the had the dream. Well, that that manifested the dream of them taking over and defeating the armies that of the winter of the cold that would come or whatever else. Like he was the impetus for all of that. So, the the family's got 
you know, some mystical ties other than the fact that they can't be burnt and dragons like them. Okay. Yeah. And I, I do love those, that reference to, you know, the white walkers and who's to say we're not going to see, even though the white walkers don't reappear, who's to say we're not going to see them go north to like check it out and maybe like set daddy walker back a hundred years or something like you know there there are all sorts of possibilities of things we don't know about that i am excited about like the show is getting me uh anthony last licks before i get pissed the wikipedia not in that way the, the wikipedia for the for the show has finally filled in the rest of the episodes so the the other eight episode titles are finally available and looking at the titles i don't want to spoil it for richard but looking at the titles of these episodes I am excited to see what I think the the pacing of the show is going to reveal. It's going to be amazing. Cool. I'm into it. Nice. Um, with one exception. <laughs> okay. Okay. Jenny, here we go. go. All right. Now, I want to give credit where credit is due. Uh, this uh, show started out with an intent just to explore patriarchy in medieval times, fine. I think what we knew was it was present and dominating. Okay. Uh, I want to give credit to the number of women and diverse perspectives uh, in the writing room and on the producing staff and on the directing staff. Uh, it's not as diverse as one would hope, especially given the fact that there are black characters, uh, black actors on the show playing characters. Um, uh but uh, it's better than the original Game of Thrones was. So I want to give credit. Let's, let's, let's hear that. However, after each episode of Game of Thrones, there are these inside the episode little BTSs. And the first one was like kind of annoying, but I just let it slide. And then the second one got super annoying because the three people that were speaking uh, from behind the scenes, not the actresses, not the actors, whatever, but behind the scenes – were just these three grotty, middle-aged, white-presenting showrunner types, okay? Like, the same showrunner types that just populate drama shows from, like, every single drama show. It's just this grotty, rich, middle-aged white guy. Now, a disclaimer, we actually know uh, from a long time ago, one of them, Greg Utanis, Matt Flanagan grew up best friends with Greg Utanis's brother. So, that's a weird thing. But these three guys, watching these three guys just spout off about how they are, um, like changing the game with their, uh, uh, approach to the patriarchy and blah, blah, blah. And they're, they're, they gave, I mean, this is a, like, uh, we had to give or something. I forget what the exact quote was. Uh, the females, by the way, guys. Okay. Rant. Females stands for male and female of a species. A man and a woman are the human version of male and female. If you, if at all possible, and it's not always possible, if at all possible, please use man and woman and not male and female. Please, pretty please, and use the correct pronouns when you're talking about people who don't uh, define by either category. But please, for the love of God, do not say <laughs> the females on House of Dragon. Like, no. Okay. So, uh, they gave the females on the House of Dragon their own scene together. This is the Rhaenys and Rhaenyra scene because it's quote, important. And I was like, these fucking three guys, let me tell you, just sitting there in their grotty, uh, 
grungy middle-aged bs way talking about like it's important like i could just see the comms person behind them like be like look read the next bullet point about feminism and i was just like like guys i know and i understand i understand that in future episodes because i went and looked it up there will be episodes written by women in the room there is an episode written by the youngest writer in the room like and she is a woman and she's an asian woman and i get it like i i'm not damning the show to the beyond but like get your fucking optics straight and find a woman who is not an actress under contractual control to talk about what it means to write for the show uh, as a woman. Because like, uh, and again, I'm going on a flipping rant here. I think about the writer's room for this show, right? And you've got these, you know, two directory type guys who are off filming wherever. And then you've got one showrunnery guy who's probably shuttling between the writing and the filming, or maybe they wrote all ahead and they were all there. I don't know. But then, you know, like, no matter how well trained a gentleman is in the fine art of feminism, there is always some woman who has to come in in a writer's room and explain, like, how things have GD changed. And I know this because I heard from enough women writing on shows that are dominated by older men who they actually take on the literal emotional labor of explaining feminism, real feminism to men who have never like never practiced it or heard of it and are like dubious about its existence. And I just think about the women in the show and I wonder like, uh, are you having to do that work on a show that has a woman in a lead role? Who's by the way, listed like not first, like Millie Alcock is not even in the lead credits. She's just like kind of in there somewhere. I checked. And I just get pissed. And I'm just like, you couldn't find a woman to run the show or even co-EP the show and and be the first person that talks about this show. You had to have these grotty, grungy three dudes, one of which we know, right? Uh, it's nothing wrong with the dudes themselves, but they are not comfortable saying the words about the feminism. And in 2022, the year of our Lord, 2022, this is actually more enraging to watch them stumble through their BS attempt at talking about patriarchy than it is to watch the patriarchy in the middle ages. Okay. And, and bit thoughts. Do you dare? I, I have a few Jenny. I've, I've one, one procedural question for you. When a show is written and it says written by, that is just the lead writer, right? That's the person that basically assembled the majority yes. of the script and then it goes to the writer's room and it gets hashed out. Well, it gets, gets hashed. Usually every, everybody does it differently. Usually, especially in a room where the writers write first and then production begins, which I imagine this show was. HBO often does that, where they do all 10 episodes or 8 of 10 or something because the, it's so important that they get them all written first and then they go off and film them and then there's rewrites, right? Um, but yes, yeah, so uh, imagine on this show, and I'm sure we could find out by actually listening to it, um, that uh, they all write it together. Am I breaking up? No, you're you're not maintaining good mic technique. Yeah, sorry, 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 sorry. Okay, sorry, sorry. Okay, I'll <laughs> the, start it from the, the beginning. The window does In, not uh, care your opinion about House of Dragon. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So in so probably they all wrote them 
uh, in a room together. One person is assigned a script because these are 60 minute scripts, right? Or 45 or somewhere close. They're big lifts, right? So then someone goes off with the heavy outline and that was hashed out by the whole room and then writes the script. And then the script gets looked at by everybody and punched up. And then the showrunner probably has a go at it. And then it goes off to pre-production, right? And they do that with the 10 scripts that they're going to film. And that's that. Um, and then each person, sometimes also they just write them all in the room, right? It's a room write, but uh, uh, one person is just assigned a script. So one way or another, generally, everybody in the room gets a script unless they are a young writer. And I will give credit, the youngest, newest writers in the room each have episodes. Their name is on an episode. So they're not... So I, I give credit, but then there's like, um, so that's the answer to your procedural. Okay, go okay. ahead. Next question or thought. Where are the other writers listed in the credits? Uh, they're called, very few writers are actually called writers. This is an interesting thing based on the Writers Guild. Um, a staff writer is the only person called a writer on the show. Uh, then it is, and there's like writers, PAs and writers assistants and all this stuff, but it's a writer, then a story editor then a supervising producer, then a pro- then a producer, then a co-producer, then a co-EP, and an EP. All of those people are in the writer's room. They are the writers who are also given producer credit for some writer's guildy reason on a subcontract. I don't know. But then there are the producing, the real actual producing side producers. The showrunner sits on both sides, right? So the showrunner is uh, an executive producer of the show. Many showrunners are forced to be in three places at once during production on, on, on shows that have the luxury. Um, they are mostly in the writer's room and then they go off with the scripts to film. So that's another question. <laughs> okay. Um, so th- th- then what I want to say is how I want to, I want to know the ratio of women in the room for the story writing and that kind of stuff. I want to know the, the BIPOC uh, percentage. Like oh. I can tell you because I looked it up this afternoon because awesome. I didn't want to just start making claims. Right. right. Okay. So if I can remember correctly and uh, we can look this up on IMDb, there is a writer uh, who is probably the staff writer who doesn't get a credit on the show, but would get a credit if um, she, uh, uh, writes an episode, which she is listed as having written one, uh, who is Asian American. There is at least one more Asian American man. There is, uh, this gets dangerous because if they don't list their own ethnicity, I don't want to list it for them. So there is right. someone that does look, um, like they are another ethnicity, but I'm not going to go there. Then you've got some white dudes, but they participate. I looked this all up. They participate in like uh, mentorship programs to expand the diverse representation in Hollywood. So I'm not saying like, I'm not saying that this is, I'm saying it's a miss, but I'm not saying it's structurally sound. I guess what I'm saying is, and then there's like a, just a bunch of white guys at the top and white women too. Like, again, your, your whole patriarchal thing that's going on here in the show is between like blonde ladies and blonde men and one black actor. Right. Right. Black British actor, I think. I have to look up the actor. But um the so I guess what I'm saying is like there was no way they could find if you're gonna do a show about the effects of patriarchy on women in power, like you really couldn't find a lady showrunner, a co showrunner, a whatever. Like we always have to 
I guess what I'm saying is we always have to be the people saying, let me make your thing better by adding in my experience. And believe me, this goes 16 times more for Black women in rooms, for Asian Americans in rooms, for disability representation in rooms. Like I am, I am but a mere slice small slice of, you know, uh, the bitching and the emotional labor that goes on when you have to tell white male showrunners how the game has changed. So you can't just get the people who have changed the game to run the show. That's my complaint. That's my complaint. Okay. I love you, Greg Utanis. (laughs) Greg Utanis once wrote a computer program way back in the day when he was in school, like a slightly couple of years above Matt and his brother, uh, that for some reason would say, are you Craig? Are you Craig? Meaning Greg. <laughs> uh, and <laughs> Matt and I still say that to this day. We love him. We love all the work he's done. But man, it was not great to see him as one of these three, along with just an absolute genius of a director, Miguel Sapochnik. I'm not complaining there. But then you've got the actual showrunner on this show does not have that many credits. So you're telling me you had more faith in this guy who didn't have that many credits as your actual showrunner or co-showrunner with Miguel Sapochnik than some woman who has way more credits on way more shows? Like, really? There were no women that could have – and this is another point. There are no women that could have come up through the Game of Thrones ranks to be the showrunner of this show because there just weren't that many in the writer's room. Sorry. Right. I'll shut up. You don't need to shut up. No, I, is... I, I think it's it's all legitimate. You know, you know, one of the things that uh, I've found kind of refreshing, even though I find the show incredibly baffling, um, and I'm talking about Westworld, another HBO property, is Lisa Joy as the co-creator being one of the the main faces of the after show and talking about what you know and and how refreshing it is to have a woman in that position that's talking about largely how men screwed up the world yeah. <laughs> right it, 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 it's it's um not that common like i just i don't know it just I was so happy with the episode. I guess this is another point. I was so happy with the episode that I was so mad that the BTS was so off the episode's point. You know? Yeah. Like, it it just did not reflect. And, like, if you're going to do inside the show, like, get a lady host or something or anything. Or or, (laughs) I don't know. But uh, uh, that brings up another point that it reminds me of. And I thought about this after. There is no Xander in this show. Do you guys know what that means? No. No. Okay. Matt and I have a saying, and I think we got it from somewhere else. We probably got it from the AV Club or something. Uh, every show needs a Xander, which is that comes from Buffy the Vampire Slayer player. There was a um, character named Xander who was like a main part of the Scooby gang on the Buffy thing. And he was the one who commented on the ridiculousness of everything in the show. And you could think of five other characters and five other shows who are the Xander. And they generally always make these draw these very plotty, heavy dramas better. And I, I don't necessarily think that we've seen the Xander in this show yet. And I would like one because it's a little heavy and 
uh, I sort of want to punch it. So uh, I want to, <laughs> and I don't mean like punch it out. I mean like punch it up. Yeah. You know, yep. like who? who so would you- I, I await the presence of a Xander. I await the presence of a Xander in the BTS because I'm really mad at it, and uh, I await the presence of Greg Utanis on this show. Because if he wants to come on and talk about it, uh, that'd be great. We could talk about uh, Matt. I'll get Matt on. We'll talk about old times. Uh, it'll be great. But um, yeah, guys, come on. Like, do better, please. Who would be the Xander? You guys for the can have a little series? scene as a treat. Who Who would have been the Xander for the original series? Tyrion Lannister. Okay, that, that's that's what the guy who's like, this is all a bunch of crap. That, that's what I thought. You are all I just want to make sure that I was understanding your definition correctly. Yeah, yeah, sure. Tyrion Lannister's one. Um, uh, Bal- Bal- Baltar on Battlestar Galactica in a way was one. This is not. This is crazy. This is ridiculous. You know. Uh, although I would say uh, probably um, there's a couple of potential Xanders on that show, but Baltar was the first. Um, uh, and they're often the audience's perspective, but they're funny. It's a, um, there's tvtropes.com. If you go look up a Xander, uh, uh, every show needs one and some of them execute it well and some of them execute it poorly. But Tyrion Lannister was an all time leading cast member Xander, like aces. Also, Josh, Josh Whedon is trash. Sorry. I have to say that now after every Buffy the Vampire Slayer or angel reference or everything but like that man needs to go to talk about guys who really need to go to feminism school who played as fake feminists like that guy is trash sorry sorry everybody speaking of my heart too. In the woods. so um I, I don't know that we can really top that discussion Did I break the show so oh, no guys, i break the podcast no not at all but i think that uh that maybe we have talked this one out yeah. You guys want to end with one fun thing? Sure. Of course. Um, uh, uh, who's your favorite dragon? <laughs> I, 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 I'm not, a, I know it's too early. I'm not uh, to who's your favorite character? Who's your favorite character so far? Yeah. I'm going to change my answer from last time. Last time <laughs> I was most intrigued by Damon. Now, uh, uh like, do not underestimate Renera. Yeah. Yeah. Anthony? Yeah. I, I, I'm going to stick with my answer from last time, and that's Renera. I really think, I, I think, the, think the actress has really captured the character. I love the parallels between her character and the original series with both Daenerys and Arya. And I really, like this episode just cemented that that's where, I don't say my allegiance is, but that's the character I'm watching most to see to drive this story forward. She's really pulling a balance between it all, between, you know, the different sides and, and, and her own side. And, uh, the, the actress is just nailing everything. And I think it's just a, a thrill to watch. Yeah, that's my answer too. She's doing the job she's supposed to be doing. She should get higher billing. Also, uh, another example of a Xander was the, oh, why don't I remember his name? The eunuch that was friends with Tyrion Lannister. Oh, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Perfect Xander. Varys. What's his name? Varys. Come on, guys. What was it? Varys. Varys. Yes, thank you. So, um, the guy who had all this, the little birds. The, the um, spider whisperer. He needs a Varys. A Var- we'll, we'll rename it instead of the spider. Instead of uh, a Xander, we'll call it a Varys. We need a Varys. <laughs> there we um, go. Because that, you know, that old show wasn't problematic at all. Okay, I mean, so Anthony. Uh, on that same token, I could go with another. about the Patreon. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, okay, so I'm going to be really quick and simple because everybody hates hearing Patreon spins. Uh, if you're a patron at certain levels, you will get this full recording of what we're talking about right now, not edited, no music added, nothing. I just take the file and throw it on the Patreon. You'll also get the actual fully produced episode as soon as I get done with it. And then you'll get it at least one day before the everybody else does. In addition, if you want to chat with us while we are watching, rewatching the show together after we've already watched it, we're going to rewatch the show on Discord. You can chat with us. You can listen to us. All this is available at patreon.com slash let's talk about thrones. Okay. Richard, anything you want to tell the world about? Uh, yeah, you can find me and the other stuff that I do out on Twitter. I'm at Richard Gunther and my, I'm going to promote the smart home show, which is uh, a podcast that I do with Adam justice. And we take our respective consumer and uh guy from the industry perspectives on the smart home. So if you're interested in stuff like that, you can check that out at smarthome.fm. Anthony Ema Sathan, what do you got? I am editing and co-producing a show with Tom Merritt called A Word with Tom Merritt. You can find it at awordpodcast.com. It's amazing. It's awesome. When am I going to be on it? <laughs> you are in you should, don't, you answer. Are, don't answer you don't have you to are in the pipeline we are currently waiting for your life to kind of settle just a little bit because right now it's uh-huh. it's a little turbulence yeah, so we didn't bring it up right. but Speaking you were on the, life, you're so in the hopper you guys my dad died and i'm gonna plug it uh uh larryjosephson.org is a website where you can go see the life of larry josephson and the reason i bring this up is because there's going to be a memorial december 4th in new york city that will be live streamed so i'm really speaking to the people about live streaming and i think it's important to mention that the people who made this website possible are on this podcast with me um richard gunther and <laughs> anthony lemos were there for me literally the day after my dad died when i finally got done talking to all the newspapers and stuff and were like how can we help and they did clips that i passed out to all the radio stations and they built a website and my dog is peeing on the hotel bed right now just looking at me funny uh, and I, words cannot describe how much I appreciate that support, uh, and that kindness. And you can go check it out so you can see, uh, where I got all my salty opinions from, uh, a generation ahead of me. And, uh, it's been a month since my dad passed. And, uh, uh, yeah. So there's that. Uh, and I was in, um, where was I? Boulder, Colorado, a month out. Uh, and that was the right place to be. So, uh, J-E-N-N-I-E-J, uh, 23 on Twitter. And um, uh, LarryJosephson.org. Awesome. You should probably go take care of your dog. I know. The dog just pissed on the bed. He was like, why are you fucking talking to the computer? (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) it's been an hour. Uh, (laughs) All right. Well, on that note, uh, I've really completely lost the plot. Uh, Thank you so much for tuning in to uh, Let's Talk About Thrones, House of the Dragon. Um, I am going to go walk the dog. I bet Richard is too. And here we all go. We'll talk to you next week uh, when Jenny will be further enraged. See you. Bye. <laughs>